we assume that God is like us. When we take that assumption away, when we allow the scriptures to give to us how God describes himself, we can see clearly that this being, this ultimate supreme being has an essence that is beyond our reasoning, beyond it. And only thing we can go by is what the scriptures actually teach about this being. In a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. Welcome back, everybody, to Prescribing Truth. I'm Jamal Banny, the one who seeks to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today, live right now on YouTube, and also available on various podcast apps, including iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. I would encourage you to please leave a review for the show. Let me know what you think about it. Um, you know, let me know the things that you think I can approve on, some things you'd like to see discussed and whatnot. I greatly appreciate it, and I do listen to comments. So please consider doing that. Um, if you'd like to support the show financially, you could do so by partnering with me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prescribe truth. Um, I really appreciate those who currently give. And um, if you would like to support this ministry, I would encourage you to do so as well. If you'd like to contact me, you can do so at 801-980-6333, or you can email me at prescribe.truth at gmail.com. All right, on tonight's show, I want to discuss a comment that was uh, sent to me on YouTube discussing Trinitarians and monotheism. Uh, the accusation or the assumption of the individual who commented uh, was that Trinitarians aren't monotheists. Um, they can't be. And I know this may not be a new subject for many of you out there um, who get into apologetics and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but for anyone who may be new in the faith or uh, may not deal as much in apologetics, I want to be able to discuss this and in a very simple way um, that I can. So therefore, if somebody comes to you with this objection, you will know how to answer it. Um, that is my prayer concerning this. Um, so I'm not planning on going super deep into a lot of theological terms and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but I just want to give a simple answer and I do want to address it. Um, I do think that when somebody makes a charge against a Trinitarian that they are polytheistic, um, I think this is, that is an important charge. I think it's worth giving an answer to and shouldn't be brushed off. Um, there are a lot of assumptions within that accusation um, that we need to discuss and bring out. And so I want to be able to help you to do that in case somebody comes to you with that charge. All right. So first, I want to read off the comment. I'm not going to read this whole comment. Um, it, it was very long. I just want to read probably the first beginning of it. And this comes from um, a gentleman named Pastor Rodriguez. Pastor Rodriguez. He says the Trinity and the oneness both are false. Now, I don't know um, what church this person preaches at. I don't know nothing about this pastor or what the case may be, if he is a pastor at all. Um, but that's how he begins his comment. He says the Trinity and the oneness both are false. But he goes on to give his uh, reason why he believes Trinitarians are false. And he says the Trinity and the word monos in Greek. And he, this is how he labels the top. He said, whoever believe in the Trinity cannot be considered a monotheistic person. The Trinity states that there are separation of persons. That means more than one person. Monotheism is a word that means only one God as a person no three persons. 
So I wanted to address this because that is an assumption. Now he says that the Trinity, he said Trinitarians and the oneness are both false, but yet he assumed uh, he may be Unitarian given his, given his answer. I think he may be Unitarian. Um, I think one, yeah, oneness Pentecostals believe that basically the father takes on different modes. So the father becomes the son and then it's the Holy spirit as well. Where Unitarians, they, I think they mostly would say the father is God and that Jesus isn't and so on and so forth. I don't know. Um, that's, that seems to be the case. so this person may seem to be more Unitarian because he's making the emphasis about, um, God being one person. And I want to, and when you, when you read a comment like this, is it starts off the, the, the premise is already false. And because the premise is false, everything else following it is going to be false as a domino effect. And so he starts off and saying that the Trinity believes or the, the people that, um, who believe the Trinity states that there are, there are a separation of persons. That means more than one person. Monotheism is a word that means only one God as a person, as a person, no three persons. So the first assumption here, which actually corrupts the premise is that monotheism, um, by saying that there's only one God automatically assumes one person. And that is, that is the biggest issue here. The assumption of one person. And you know, that's, that's the biggest issue there. All right. The term monotheism means one God. Um, that's, that's why we're not polytheists. Polytheists believe in multiple gods, or you have some who are called tritheists or people accuse Christians actually of being tritheistic. Tritheistic is be believing in three different gods. And so that is not the case concerning Trinitarians. Um, as we look at the scriptures, the Bible is overwhelmingly, um, evident, give evidence that there's only one God, only one God, hence the term or the theological term monotheistic or monotheism, one God. Um, the Greek word in for God in the New Testament is theos. Um, and so monotheistic, theos. All right. So there's no, there's no argument there. I won't argue that monotheism means one God. It's just that as he adds to that definition, it says only one God as a person. So now what is the, where is the, the confusion with assumptions like this? It all boils down to, at least this is from my experience, it boils down to a misunderstanding of definitions. He quotes or he deals with, I can say quotes, he deals with the definition of mono in Greek, but let's deal with how the scriptures define being and personhood. What does that mean? What does it mean to have personhood? Why do Trinitarians say that the one God is made up of three persons? What do we mean by that? So if we don't, if we don't take take into account those definitions, the importance of those definitions, then of course, it's always going to be an assumption that there's three gods. And what I've even seen is because of the, the complexity of this issue is that even when you do break it down, you break down what we mean by personhood and persons and, and being that they still will assume that we're talking about multiple gods because they cannot fathom that this one God can be separated into three persons. So the only logical thing for them to do then is to assume 
Unitarianism. All right. So real quick, just for the sake of this conversation, for the sake of this podcast, for those who are listening, I want to read off some scripture to you that how scripture just shows that God is one. There's only one God. So no need to even argue this. This is not, this is non-negotiable, non-debatable. It's only one God. It start off as uh, Exodus 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So you should worship no other God, right? Then Deuteronomy 4.35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Deuteronomy 4.39, a few verses after that. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Isaiah um, 45 verse five, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. That's what, he, that's, that's what God says in scripture. There is no God besides me, there is no God. All right, now, Real, I could have read up. There's plenty more verses besides that, but let's look at something real quick. I want to go back. Um, let's see. Ver, um, first Kings eight sixty. It said that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. That's first Kings chapter eight, verse 60, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Now, what's interesting here is the word for Lord there is Yahweh. Translated from the Old Testament, that would mean Yahweh, all right? In the Greek Septuagint, that word would re be replaced with kurios. And that was the word used for our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's also Yahweh. So for those for you who would deny that Jesus is God in the flesh or that he is God, in himself that he is divine and human they can't argue with that the the bible calls him lord and it's not lord in the sense how um abraham not, uh abraham but sarah called abram or abraham lord in that sense no jesus was given attributes he was given credit that only god could have only god could have even jesus said in his high priestly prayer in john 17 that he said the father, he said, Father, glorify me with you, glorify me with the glory that I have with you from the foundation of the world. And so in, in the Bible tells us that God shares his glory with no one. Shares his glory with no one. All right. So how can Jesus have glory with the Father if God shares his glory with no one? That would be a contradiction. So anyway. Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, what do we mean by God? The Bible defines God as being a supreme being. What does it mean to have being? Being, all it is, is that there's an existence. You have being. Right now, you have being. The computer that you're listening on or you're watching on, the phone that you're listening on, you're carrying, it has being. A rock has being. It exists. 
That's what the definition is. But we attribute the word God for a supreme being. This being, this being is above all else, all more powerful, you know, more than anything else. I, I you know, losing my words there, but that's that's all that is. God is supreme above all other things that exist. For all of all other existences, I should say, He's supreme. All right, so there's only one supreme being, one God, one. Now you have people who want to throw in other scriptures where they tell people where God um, rebukes people for worshiping other gods and so on and so forth. But keep in mind, scripture is clear. There, there is no other God. What people make for themselves are idols. But there is no other God. So no, no Christian, no Trinitarian Christian believes in a plurality of gods. So, Trinitarians are monotheistic. The comment from this gentleman is assuming Unitarianism, is assuming one person within the being of God. It's an assumption, not based off anything that's factual, but based on an assumption. All right? So that, that's important, okay? Based on an assumption. That's the thing we got to think about. They, they assume Unitarianism, one person. But why do they assume that? Why do they assume one person? Well, this is my understanding. I'm not saying this is the truth. I'm not saying it's completely right. But this is my reasoning for why I believe that people like Pastor Rodriguez and others who hold to Unitarianism make this assumption concerning the being of God. Because we as humans, it's hard for us to fathom an existence that's outside of time, space, and matter, like we are. You know, we're limited to time. We're limited to space. We're limited to our function. We're limited, period. We're humans. We're not infinite. We're finite. So it's hard for us to fathom how an existence can yet carry multiple persons. Why? Because we as humans don't carry multiple persons. All right? I'm one human being. That's what I am. But if I have my wife with me, she's another human being. My children are other human beings. They have beings. They are they have an existence, right? They're here, but where we can't share the same substance. That is another definition for being a substance. All right? In, in essence, you know, we don't share the same substance or essence, all right? But God is spirit. That's what the Bible tells us. God is spirit. He's not limited to just what we have, this, this space and body as we have. He's not. God is a spirit, all right? And so that's what we do. We limit God. We make him look like us. And that is the grave mistake that people make. I've been there before too. I used to be a oneness, you know, and, but I assumed the same thing. It was hard for me to fathom this God, this, 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 uh, eternal God sharing a plurality of persons. Um, I grew up in a background where they deemed that a three headed monster. All right. So if you believe in the Trinity, then you believe in a three headed monster and God is no monster, right? But that's because we assume that God is like us. 
When we take that assumption away, when we allow the scriptures to give to us how God describes himself, the information that he gives us in his word, and we allow the scriptures to speak uh, apart from our assumptions, we can see clearly that this being, this ultimate supreme being has an essence that is beyond our reasoning, beyond it. And only thing we can go by is what the scriptures actually teach about this being. All right. Now, throughout scripture, even in shades of the Old Testament, we see there are a plurality of persons within the Godhead. We see there are uh, the, the angel of the Lord in some places in the Old Testament is given attributes only credited to Yahweh, only given to Yahweh. The burning bush that Moses was speaking to was the angel of the Lord. Yet when Moses said, what should I tell the people concerning like, who should I, like, what should I tell them as far as who's sending me in the, within that burning bush, the angel of the Lord said, tell them that I am, that I am sent you Yahweh. All right. So you, you can't argue that, you know, that there is a plurality there. Even if we're talking about only two at this moment, there's a plurality there. What I love about the New Testament is that that is supposed to reveal to us things that were hidden in the, in the Old Testament. John tells us that in the chapter, in the first chapter of his gospel, he says that the son who's at the bosom of the father, the only begotten God, he has made him known. He has exegeted him. He has given us understanding. So we can know God because we know the son. All right. So he's explained all these things. Jesus come to make all these things known, these things that we didn't we didn't realize before. We wouldn't have known no other no other way, you know, as far as, as being as clear. He brought it out within the new. And so we see in the New Testament that Jesus is God, yet, and then keep in mind, he claims to himself to be God. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, Before you were born, he said, What well, he says, before Abraham was. I am. All right. So he, he's saying that he's God. They picked up stones to throw at him, not because he was being a smart aleck, but because he was claiming to be God. That was the reason they told him. Jesus said, why are you picking up stones to throw at me? And they said, it's not because of the works you do, but it said you being a man or making yourself be, uh, be God, be equal with God. All right. So Jesus claimed to be God. That was his claim. Yet he prayed to the father as a separate person. So we have this one person praying to another person. So now I just kind of segue into my next point. But before I go there, as a Christian, one of the main things we should be doing is evangelizing. Our Lord said to go, therefore, and make disciples. And sometimes we can't wait for them to come to us. One way in which I like to engage others is with gospel tracts. They are great for starting a conversation, even though sometimes you may not have the time. There is no need to fear because every gospel tract has a gospel message laid out beautifully. So you can be assured that if they take the time to read them, they would have received the gospel message. Where do I get my gospel tracks from? I'm glad you asked. I get mine from Track Planet. They offer a wide variety of gospel tracks, even for different seasons of the year at an extremely affordable price. I've used them at work just by sitting them on my counter, watching people pick them up and began to ask me questions about the message they contain. 
If you'd like to check out some of these amazing tracks to use in evangelizing, please visit the website that I have linked below. The website is prescribedtruth.com forward slash track planet. Absolutely love the tracks. So going back into it, personhood. What does it mean to have personhood? All right. In the scriptures, we see that the son talks. We know this, obviously. Jesus came in doing a virgin birth, right? He came. He, you know, lived as a human amongst us. So he spoke. The father spoke. Um, uh, a prime example of that is at Jesus' baptism. When he had been baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says that a voice came from heaven and said, This is my son, whom I am well pleased. That's naming two different persons. Now, I know there are Unitarians, there are oneness who like to say that, you know, Jesus threw his voice and, you know, because God is spirit, it's possible for him to be down here and be speaking from up there and all that kind of stuff. But see, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. That would have been confusion for that, for that, at that point. You have Jesus being baptized, right? And you have a father speaking as a voice that comes from heaven saying, this is my son. So pointing out another person, right? This is my son whom I am well pleased. So there's a distinction between the father and the son automatically. Automatically. There is a clear distinction. There's no way that the father is saying, this is myself in whom I am well pleased. No, this is my son. And see, then you have the argument that people make that Jesus in his, within his humanity and his divinity was two separate persons. But, but where do you see that in scripture? There's nowhere in scripture that Jesus split his personhood, that he was a flesh person and then a spirit person. No, within his, within his person and in his person, he had divinity and humanity. All right. Both existence, 100% man, 100% God, period. All right. So when he, when Jesus spoke, it was the eternal son of God speaking. That was it. The eternal son, the word of God speaking. When you had, when you heard the voice come from heaven and you, and that voice says, this is my son. This is the father speaking, the eternal father speaking. All right. But then after he says these things, the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove so not a literal dove coming down but descended upon him as a dove and god made this a visible moment for john the baptist because this was a sign to him as to who the messiah is and so john the baptist was able to witness the holy spirit descending upon jesus all right now in the bible as we go further through scripture the holy spirit is said to teach us. Jesus said it himself. He says, I must go, but the comforter who will come in my name, he will guide you into all truth. What Jesus said also, he, he will testify of me. And it's interesting that Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as not as an it, but as he. He will guide you into all truth. He will testify of me. How do you testify of anything if you can't speak and how can you testify if you don't have personhood all right so the holy spirit having personhood yet another instance peter 
this is after um, Jesus' resurrection and ascension. You have the, the early church is, is meeting. Everybody's giving their offerings. What happens? Pete, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie. They, they don't bring the full amount of what they were supposed to give. So they're lying. And what does Peter say? You lied to the Holy Spirit. Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? He says, you didn't just lie to man. You lied to God. You lied to God. Referring to the Holy Spirit as God. All right. So within the testimony of scripture, of scripture, you have this being that exists that we cannot deny. There's this being that exists that is God, Theos, Yahweh, that exists, right? Yet, we have these instances, instances of scripture where the Father is called God, Theos, and Yahweh. The Son is referred to as Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is referred to as Yahweh. Right. Yet the Bible is abundantly clear that there's only one Yahweh. One. All right. So the definition of the Trinity is that we believe that God exists as one being that is God, that we call God is one being that is shared by three equal and co-eternal persons. Namely, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. So within that being that we call God, within that essence, is shared by three persons. Because that is what scripture shows. All right. Now, I think that what people do when they claim the Unitarianism, when they assume Unitarianism, I think that they are the ones who are actually believing in multiple gods. They have to. Why? Because the way scripture is structured. If there's only, if, into their mind, if God is only one person, well, then it is blasphemy for the angel of the Lord to say that he will give them anything or create anything or do anything because he's not his own authority. It would also be blasphemy for John to say in the first chapter of his gospel that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. That would seem like we're talking about two different gods. If you're going to assume Unitarianism. All right. There's going to be an issue when you have Hebrews one, where it talks about how the father is speaking and he says some things about the angels. But then in verse eight, he says of the son, you are God. How is the father going to say the son is God when in the Old Testament, God says there is no other God. You see, you're faced with an issue and you can't be consistent with your argumentation. All right. So belief in the triune nature of God is the only consistent and reasonable and logical explanation for what we see concerning the nature of God. Now, will we understand that perfectly in this world, in this in this lifetime? No. I mean, centuries has gone by, millennia has passed by, and people still hasn't grasped this perfectly. But we can't deny its existence. We can't deny it. Now, the importance of understanding the triune nature of God is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. 
you have a false gospel not believing and denying in the triune nature of God. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not me saying that if you don't fully understand the Trinity, that you can't be saved. What I'm saying is a denial of this truth, a blatant, a blatant rejection of this truth leads you to a false gospel. Who gives their life on the cross for us to be saved? Who does it? The, the, the issue with all of this um, lands at who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because no one would disagree that the Father is Yahweh, right? No one would disagree with that, that the Father is Yahweh and that the Father has personhood. No one would disagree with that. The issue would then go into who is the Son and who is the Spirit. That will be the issue. So before we even get to the Spirit, the issue is the Son. Who is Jesus? If Jesus is just a person who just happens to be possessed by a spirit, well, then the death on the cross is not sufficient because the sacrifice on the cross had to be perfect. Not just perfect in the fact that he had no sin, but without any spot or blemish. Because think, keep, keep this in mind. If God so wanted to, Jesus could have been born. He could have, like, you know, just hypothetically speaking, Jesus could have been born by Joseph being, Joseph being the blood father, right? And lived a perfect life. Like God could have could have possessed him in such a way. I believe God is, is powerful enough, could possess him in such a way where he would have committed no sin in his lifetime. But that still would not have been a perfect sacrifice in and of itself. God had to give his life perfection. Because God demanded a perfect sacrifice. If Jesus would have been born of Joseph being a father, that seed would have still had sin attached to it because of the father. This, <laughs> this is beautiful how God set all this up. He did it. He provided the sacrifice himself. He provided himself as a sacrifice. And so if the sacrifice wasn't God, like far as just being a person on the cross, a mere man, well, then it wouldn't have eternal implications. Keep in mind, what, what was the issue with people sacrificing bulls and goats? Well, that those sacrifices could only last so long and they didn't take away the stain of sin. They just, you know, that was just an atonement, but it only, they had to do that every year. It had an expiration date, but because Jesus is who he is and he gave his life, that sacrifice doesn't have an expiration date. Therefore, we don't, we don't have to make sacrifices every year, you know, that, and praise God. So he had to be God in the flesh. If Jesus isn't God in the flesh, then you have another gospel. You have, a, you, and, your, and your atonement, your sac that sacrifice on the cross is null and void, is, is null and void for you. Then you, if you believe that Jesus is the father who himself died on the cross well how do you have the father deal wrath on himself his own wrath on himself how is that but he has to leave the spirit he has to leave the body in order to do it it still will be just a man dying on the cross so i'm saying all the way through scripture this is the only logical explanation there is concerning the nature of god you may not understand it fully and that's okay there's grace for you there but to have a blatant rejection of the truth, the facts that God exists in three co-eternal co persons is, uh, is blasphemy.
it's wrong. It's erroneous. And if you are rejecting that truth, I, I hope you repent. I hope you repent and believe the true gospel. Believe the gospel. All right. So, yeah, that's what I want to talk about today. Um, I'm, I hope this has been helpful for you. I didn't go, once again, my goal was not to go as deep in the subject as I could go or like to go. Um, but I wanted to offer a simple explanation, a simple uh, um, response to somebody who may come to you and ask you about how can God be three and one? How can that be? You know, um, how do you not believe in three gods because you believe that the father is God, the son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. That's three gods. I want you to be able to give an answer for that as we are called to give an answer in first Peter three fifteen to give an answer. All right. So remember, keep this in mind and, and don't get thrown off by when somebody asks this question to you, but remember that there's a definition for being and there's a definition for personhood. It is important that you understand those definitions and don't be ashamed to bring those definitions to bear when dealing with the subject, because that is where the confusion lies. And also, this also goes into presuppositionalism and I'm not going to try and go too deep into that right now, but there's a presupposition that exists on both sides. All right. So, and yes, we can be, we can be honest in that there's a presupposition, but the scriptures give evidence that backs the presupposition for the Trinitarian. There's a presupposition for the Unitarian. They presuppose that when you say God, you automatically mean one person, but the scripture back that presupposition. That's the question. All right. So I hope this has been helpful for you. Thank you for joining me on this Lord's day. Um, I hope um, that you better take this information and use it. Remember everybody in a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. Prescribed truth, we're giving you what the doctor ordered. Jamal Bandy, apologist, the Lord's servant. We undeserve it, but Christ changed our mind frame. In a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth.